Hey everyone, my name is Jordan, and thank you for joining us for today's online sermon. This week starts a new series in Titus on godliness. What is godliness, and how can we live a godly life? Pastor Steve Hogg is going to be going over all of those things as we dig into these chapters. Let's take a moment and pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for another opportunity for us to come together and hear your word and grow spiritually as we focus on what you have for us this morning. We ask that you would use Pastor Steve as a mouthpiece for what you want to teach us today and that you would open our hearts, open our minds, and open up our ears for everything you have to say today. And we ask that you would be encouraging and challenging to us today in all that you have. In your name we pray. Amen. What is godliness? When we say someone is a godly person, what does that really mean? Well, today I'm going to share with you the first of three messages from the book of Titus on that subject because I want to help us understand what godliness really is and what a blessing it is to us in our lives. This coming week in our Bible reading plan at First Baptist, we'll be reading the book of Titus, so that's where I'm going to teach from these three Sundays. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it with me to chapter 1 of the book of Titus. So when you hear the word godliness, what is the first thing that comes to mind? For most, most people, when we think of, of godliness, we think of, of being like God, of being morally pure and perfect almost, of, of, of being what God expects us to be, what we should be. And it's something we all feel we come very, very short of being. And in the New Testament, the Greek word that is usually translated as godliness means a devotion, to have a devotion to God to have a reverence for God, a devotion and reverence that causes us to have an attitude and a lifestyle that matches what we feel. In other words, our attitude and our lifestyle matches our devotion to God. It agrees with and, and matches our reverence for God. It, it reflects that reverence for Him. And so biblically, that's what godliness is. But this morning, I want, to, I want to show you a different side of godliness, if I may. I want you to, to look at it from a different angle, from a, a different perspective. And it's this, that godliness is a gift of God designed to protect us. Godliness is something God gives us, asks of us, wants from us. It's his way, one of his ways of protecting us from the pain and the harm that ungodliness, that sin, always causes. Godliness is not simply about God's expectations of us. It is a way for God to protect us from the damage and the hurt and the ruin that ungodliness, that sin, Bring. So are you ready to dig into the book of Titus, dig into the word of God and learn how he protects us with godliness? If you have your Bible there in your house, hold it up and say, I'm ready and open it with me to Titus chapter one, because this is God's word and his truth for us. Look with me in Titus chapter one at verse one, where Paul says that he is a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. 
Paul basically is telling us, he's writing this letter to Titus as an apostle of God to deepen the faith of the believers Titus is serving and to enhance their knowledge of the truth with the outcome of that being godliness. There's that word, this devotion to God, reverence for God that moves us to have an attitude and a lifestyle that matches our devotion, that reflects our reverence, godliness, and he uses it to protect us. Now look with me in chapter one at verse five. Paul says, for this reason, I left you. Who's the you? It's Titus, one of Paul's associates in his missionary and church planting ministry. And he says, for this reason, Titus, I left you in Crete, an island in the Mediterranean Sea, if you will, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders or pastors, if you will, in every city as I directed you. We learn from the book of Acts that Paul, when he was a prisoner and being shipped to Rome for trial, that that boat, if you will, when he was a prisoner, stopped on the island of Crete just before getting to Rome, and he spent three days there. And this passage here and others seem to indicate that apparently Paul was eventually released from prison in Rome. That's where the book of Acts ends. He's in prison in Rome. But apparently Paul was released and he traveled to Crete a second time and he shared the gospel, planted churches. Titus was with him and he left Titus on the island of Crete to continue the work. And he tells him, your job, one of your responsibilities is to appoint pastors in all of these cities, all of these villages and towns on the island of Crete. And these pastors were to be men of godly character who would teach and preach the holy word of God so that the believers on that island in those churches could grow in godliness. Now, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But in Paul's instructions in chapter 1, I want you to see in the beginning here how this growth in godliness is, is, is not just an expectation of God. It is that, but it's more than that. It's something God uses. God uses godliness to protect you, to protect me, to protect us from so many of the bad things, hurtful things, damaging things that ungodliness, that sin brings to our lives. So look with me in chapter one. Let's read together. and We'll come back to the pastors in a moment, but let's read together for now, starting at verse 10. He says, there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, seducers, if you will especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid or dishonest gain, money. Verse 12, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And we know from history which, which uh, philosopher said that on the island of Crete. Verse 13, this testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely or harshly so that they may be sound in the faith 
not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Now, what does all of that mean? Well, part of what it means is that God is using godliness to protect them from certain things. And I want us to look at three ways God uses godliness to protect us, or if you want to think of it differently, three ways that ungodliness hurts us, three ways that that sin harms us, if you will. And this is why God wants us to be godly, to protect us from these three ways that ungodliness hurts us. First, ungodliness hurts us because it deceives us. It deceives me. It deceives you. Ungodliness does. Deceives us into believing lies. In verse 10, after talking about rebellious men, he said they are empty talkers and deceivers. Those who push sinful lifestyles. Those who encourage people to do what God says is immoral or God says is wrong. Those who teach and try to persuade people to reject the beliefs of Scripture and believe differently seduce people with vain and empty arguments and justification. They end up believing a lie because they turn from the truth. In verse 14, he mentions that very clearly at the end of the verse, turning away from the truth. So so what he's saying is that those who are pushing ungodly lifestyles and, and those who are pushing beliefs contrary to what Scripture says to God's truth are are trying to get you to turn your back on God, turn your back on the truth of God, turn your back on what God says, and believe a lie. In the Gospel of John chapter 8, Jesus said the devil is a liar. He's the father of all lies, and Jesus said there is no truth in him. And so when Satan causes people in this culture and all of its systems to push ideas and beliefs and attitudes and thinking and lifestyles that are contrary to the truth of God, what sin is doing, what ungodliness is doing, is attempting to get you to believe a lie. And some of the devil's biggest lies are everybody's doing it. You're going to miss out if you don't do this. Uh, They just don't want you to have any fun. It's not as bad as it seems. Oh, you need to have your fun now. I I can do what's right later. I I can do the religious thing later, but, but right now I'm going to have my fun. All lies from the evil one who is seeking to deceive you, to seduce you. So ungodliness is lying to you. Ungodliness is trying to get you to believe a lie. So in the end, what it doesn't tell you is ungodliness wants you to hurt. 
Ungodliness wants you to be ruined. Ungodliness wants to make a a mess of your life. But Jesus Christ wants you to know the truth. Jesus Christ does not want you to be tricked, fooled, or lied to by others, deceived and seduced by lies. Jesus wants you to know the truth so you can live the life which he created you to live. You live the life Jesus died on the cross and saved you to live. So the first way ungodliness hurts us is it it deceives us into believing lies. And, And God is saying, hey, be godly. Cling to the truth so you avoid that pain of of living your life based on a lie. The second way ungodliness hurts us is it corrupts our thinking. That's right. When When you reject the truth of God and you believe Satan's lies, he ends up corrupting the way you think. Look in Titus chapter 1 at verse 15. He said, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Your mind, where you think, where you make decisions, your attitude, your intelligence, your reasoning. The Bible says it is defiled when you live in ungodliness. Your conscience, your inner moral compass the sense of what is right and wrong. The Bible says when you listen to the lies of Satan, the lies of the culture, and ungodliness creeps into your life, your moral compass is corrupted. And and some Bibles actually translate the word defiled as corrupted. And that Greek word means to have a stain on something, like you get a stain on your shirt. You get a stain on the carpet. To think of it in modern terms, it's like a computer virus, and so your computer doesn't function properly. In medical terms, it's like having a a cancer spot on your brain, and, and suddenly there is death in your brain. And the Bible says when we listen to the lies of the culture and the lies of the world and practice ungodliness, not only are we deceived by a lie, but the way we think The way we make decisions, our attitudes, our intelligence has cancer, is corrupted, has a spot on it. It is defiled. And the result is we begin making bad decisions, sinful decisions that bring pain to our lives, that mess things up. And God wants to protect you from all of that. And the way he protects you is saying, don't listen to those lies. Instead, live a godly life. It will protect you from all of that. A third way that ungodliness and sin harm us and hurt us and deceives us is it gives us false hope. Fills us with false hope. Look at the end of chapter 1 of Titus in verse 16. He says, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. They claim to know God. But by their deeds, they deny him being detestable and disobedient, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. You see, Satan wants you to believe the lie that says, you know, I'm spiritual. 
Oh, years ago I accepted Jesus and was saved, but right now in your living, you've turned your back on Jesus. You've turned your back on God. And you say, oh, I still believe in him, but you've turned your back on him because you are disobeying him. You're living in sin. But Satan wants you to think and tell yourself, oh, I'm all right. And God says, really? Really? No, you're not. They profess to know God, but deny him by their deeds, by their choices, by their actions, by their lifestyle. And he says they are disobedient and worthless for any good thing. You see, Jesus wants to protect you from living a life that is based on lies. Protect you from living a life that is messed up by bad thinking and bad decisions. Jesus wants to protect you from living a life that clings to false hope. And so he calls you and he calls me to live godly lives. He protects us from being deceived. He protects us from false hope. He protects us from wrong and bad and corrupt thinking. And so he says, hey, godliness, godliness, godliness is just, it's not just some high standard that, that I want you to meet, some high standard that I hold up for you to, to, to look toward and go after. He said, I want you to live godly because it protects you from believing a lie. It protects you from have, having bad, corrupt thinking. It protects you from false hope and all of the damage and all of the harm and all of the pain those things bring to your life. And so God says, live godly. It is a gift that protects you from all that bad stuff. But God does more than just say, hey, live godly, because it will protect you. God says, I want to help you live godly. And in chapter 1, Titus mentions two gifts, two things God gives us to help us live godly lives. The first is his word, his holy, godly word. And the second are people, men and women, preachers and teachers and leaders and parents who preach and teach his holy Word and live according to it themselves. Look in Titus chapter 1. Let's go back to where we started. Paul said, Titus, I left you on the island of Crete to appoint, to appoint elders or pastors and preachers, if you will. And all of these churches on the island in verse 5. And then speaking about those preachers, he says in verse 6, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, literally it's a one woman man, having children who believe, he teaches them the gospel, teaches them the word of God, and they believe. <clears throat> Not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer, the leader, the elder, the pastor must be above reproach as God's steward. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain or dishonest money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. God says, I'm giving to my people leaders. Because they can be such an encouragement and they can be such a help. But they need to be leaders, whether they are pastors or 
teachers or leaders in ministry or parents and grandparents. He said they are to, they are to be people of godly character. And, and that means above reproach or blameless. Not perfect, but they are legit. They are the real deal. Faithful to your spouse and teaching, discipling your own children. Not accused of dissipation or rebellion. I'd, uh, the King James says debauchery or wild living. Giving into our sinful impulses and our sinful passions and our sinful desires. Whether it be for sex or pornography, for, for alcohol, for drugs, for porn, for parties. And on and on we could go. Not given to rebellion. People who refuse to listen, who are stubborn, if you will, and won't submit to any authority or any rules that that are arrogant and, and, and they know it all. Godliness is the opposite of that. And then he says, when we're godly, we understand we are God's stewards, meaning we manage what is not ours. We manage what belongs to God, his church, his people. And yes, you. Now, church leaders... Church leaders, hear me. We are responsible for what and who belongs to God. Responsible for his church, for his people, for those listening to me right now. And we as ministry leaders and as parents are to take care of what belongs to God by setting an example of godliness by not living an ungodly life. We are not to hurt his children by being ungodly. We, we, we know how when a pastor falls into sin, it hurts followers of Jesus. Parents, you need to hear that when you do not live godly, when you choose to disobey God and live ungodly, you hurt your children and you hurt others. He goes on in those verses we read to say that as ministry leaders, we are not to be selfish and angry all the time, having a bad temper. We're not to to get drunk. We're not to be violent and scream at people and hit people. We're not to be greedy and lie and cheat so we can get ahead financially. Instead, we are to be kind, he says, hospitable, be kind. We are to have self-control and not let our emotions rule us. And I don't want to say something to every teenager and every young adult. I want to say something to every follower of Jesus. Godly leaders and godly parents are a gift from God to you, to help you, to encourage you, to set an example for you. And leaders, parents, preachers, hear me, when we are not godly, we discourage God's people, God's children. When we are not godly, we hurt and injure God's people and God's Children. So let me summarize what I've said so far before I wrap this up. Godliness is a gift from God. Godliness is something that not, not, not just what God expects of us, but godliness is one of the ways God protects us from all the pain, all the hurt, all the harm, all the damage that ungodliness or that sin brings into people's lives. And that godly leaders 
and godly parents who exhibit their devotion to God through their character protect the people of God, the children of God, protect your own biological children by setting examples for them and by not hurting them through your own sin and your own failures. Now, there's just one more thing I want to say that I want you to see. Godly leaders and preachers, and I I would say this applies to parents as well. Protect God's children. Protect our own children when we teach God's holy word the right way. Look at verse 9. After talking about the character, the godly character of these preachers and so on. In verse 9 he says they are to hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, the teaching they had received, so that he, this preacher, will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute or rebuke those who contradict. Holding fast the faithful word. The picture is that I, as a preacher, as a man of God, as a leader of ministry, you as a mom or a dad, we are to hold fast with a firm grip to the word of God and never, ever let go of it. Why? So we can exhort God's children. That means to encourage them and build them up in their faith. You can't encourage the faith, grow and develop the faith of another if you're not clinging tightly to the word of God. We are to exhort, encourage, build up the faith of others by holding to his word. And secondly, so we have the ability to refute, to rebuke those who contradict or oppose the truth of God. All of the lies that this culture teaches that is intended to deceive and seduce people into living ungodly and the pain that brings to them eventually. We are to hold to God's word and we are to refute and rebuke the world's lies, false teaching, anything and everything contrary to the truth of God as taught in his word. In fact, in verse 11, he says we are to silence those teachers and later he says we are to severely, forcefully silence those correct, wrong Teaching. Why? In verse 13, so the children of God, the followers of Jesus, so their faith in verse 13 will be sound and strong. Why? So so that as he says in, in verse 14, they don't turn their back on God and his truth. And so I, I guess I'm I'm preaching to two groups today. I'm saying to everyone who loves Jesus and is a disciple and a follower of Jesus, do not simply think of godliness as some way of living you can never achieve, as some high standard that is impossible. We'll talk more about that the next two Sundays. I want you to see godliness as a gift from God, as as a way God has provided to protect you from you, to protect you from bad decisions, to protect you from sinful living, from ungodliness, which will always cause pain. 
Every time you disobey God and you turn your back on his truth, it brings sorrow and pain and hurt into your life, into your family. And godliness, godly living, this this devotion to God, this reverence for God that causes you to have an attitude and to think like and to have a lifestyle and make decisions like that that, that match up with your devotion to Jesus, that, that match up with your reverence for Jesus. That kind of godly living protects you from pain and injury, hurt and ruin. Think of it that way. And to everyone listening to me right now who is a preacher, who is a teacher, who is a ministry leader in the church of God, you need to understand that God views you as a gift to the people of God and that, that, that you are responsible for them and they belong to God and he's given you the privilege of managing them in a sense, if you will. And that means that when you are godly, and, and, and you're protecting yourself by being godly. You're also protecting them because you are encouraging them and building up their faith. You are setting an example for them. And, and you need to understand that when you're not godly, when you don't live out your devotion to Jesus, you actually hurt his followers. And, and, and that God has given us his word and we are to cling to it and obey it. And we are to teach it. And we are to keep it at the forefront of all we do because that is also how we protect the people of God from the lives of the evil one who only wants to destroy them. So godliness is so much more than we usually think. It makes life better for everyone. And my prayer for you is that you will cling tightly to the Word of God, live godly, and help others know how to do the same thing. God bless you, and I'll see you next Sunday.